Hey, Ned. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing these days? I'm good, thanks. I'm really happy to speak with you. It's been a while. It has been. There's a, there's a lot to talk about.、Uh, lots lots of things to talk about since we last had a conversation. That's for sure. I mean, the news cycle is so insane. We could probably have a call that would last days to catch up since <laughs> last time we spoke. Oh, absolutely, and、uh, obviously, as as you probably observed, we're what three weeks, just over three weeks away from a、uh, somewhat important midterm election. But、uh, I'm pretty optimistic we're going to do pretty well. Yeah, that's one of the main topics I wanted to discuss with you today. But listen, before we before we start. And while these aren't exactly fun times on either side of the Atlantic, I just got to start with this: How the hell is someone like John Fetterman running for Senate? Boy, I, I got to tell you, it's one of the great.、Uh, well, it's not really a mystery when you understand that the you know some people call them the regime propagandists. I call them the corporate propagandists. They like to masquerade as news and reporters. But they, until very recently, have been propping up his campaign.、Um, but but it, it feels to me that the bottom is starting to drop out a little bit on Fetterman, especially when you have MSNBC, which is not known for doing this, starting to really call out the fact that he's he's somewhat. I, I wouldn't say somewhat. He is mentally incapacitated in his ability to actually function on the campaign trail. And the the thing that's crazy to me, Nor, in the past, it wouldn't even been a conversation. How do you have somebody that's so mentally incapacitated running for really one of the top elected positions? There's only a hundred senators, one of the top elected positions in in the U.S. I'm quietly optimistic that that Oz is going to be able to beat him, but it's crazy to me that it's even close because Fetterman is definitely not up to the task. Mentally, but even more importantly, he is extremely radical. This, to me, is one of those things. Forget the mental aspect of it—the fact that he's incapacitated. This guy is a radical when it comes to wanting to release all the criminals. Has no problem with releasing those guilty of second-degree murder. I mean, he is. When we discuss the left here in America, he's not just center-left. He is far-left. And it's a shame that candidates like this are even taken as being credible, because I think of the devastating aspects of their policies, and as you probably observe from over there, we have a serious problem with rising crime, especially in blue states and in urban areas, in which you know Soros-funded DAs, candidates like John Fetterman. Have been advancing ideas that are deeply destructive, whether it's defunding police or releasing those guilty of second-degree murder, really devastating to some of these communities in this country. That's the thing. You have the normalization of mentally incapacitated people、right. in office. I mean, with the illegitimate president sitting in the White House being one of them, and then the normalization of all these radical policies. This is why I think these midterms are hugely important, and we always say you know, that this is the most important election in our lifetime. I really do believe that this midterm and then the 2024 presidential election will probably be some of the most important elections in our lifetime because of are we actually going to go down this path in which we normalize this behavior 
in which we accept these ideas that are deeply destructive as being somewhat legitimate. And they're not legitimate at all. But the radical left, and by that I mean the Democratic Party writ large, has really gone and has staked their their nailed their flag to the mast on basically defund the police, uh, radical DAs that are that are destroying these communities by releasing prisoners. You know, no cash bail. You know, you look at the immigration. To, to even say we have a southern border, I think is a stretch. Yeah. And you realize there are millions being let over during the Biden administration. I mean, this this is a completely lawless political movement, the far left, again, which has consumed the Democratic Party. And unless it's stopped in its tracks via the election process, it will not end well for this country at all. No, I think it's an understatement to say that the future of the country rests upon these elections. But even more than that, Nor, I would say it not only rests upon the elections, but this has been something that I have said repeatedly over the years. It'd be really nice if Republicans actually knew what to do with political power. So not only is it important that Republicans take the majority in the House and the Senate to mitigate this damage of the Biden administration, what will they do with the power they've been given? Are they going to actually use it effectively uh, to, to help turn the tide on this? And I think there's still question marks. I, I think Kevin McCarthy, I think there's enough voices around him that will get him kind of pointed in the right direction. I have absolutely no confidence that Mitch McConnell will do much of much of anything that will be beneficial to the conservative movement, but also to the future of this country. You know how I call these so-called Republicans, well, the official term is rhinos, as we know, but because right. of the effect of the unit party, I've started calling these people in office that are supposed to defend the interests of their constituents, I call them anos, Americans oh. in name only. <laughs> because they're not Republicans. No. They're not. They, they are definitely, you know, I've, I've commented on Mitch McConnell's, I've called him a sociopath on talk. <laughs> and based on his behavior in, in, in the Arizona Senate race, for example, in which he's polled about $18 million of funding for Blake Masters, who I think is the gold standard. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of J.D. Vance. I'm a big fan of Joe Kent. But I think the real gold standard this cycle is, is really Blake Masters. Mitch McConnell has let it be known, it's not even really a secret in D.C., that he, that he hates Blake. Because Blake is actually proposing ideas, and again, shocking concept, that we actually put the American people first, the American taxpayer, all of these things. Mitch McConnell is not interested in that. He's interested in Washington first. He's interested in his interests first. And I have to tell you, Mitch McConnell to me is emblematic of where I think a lot of the, the leadership inside the Republican Party has been before Donald Trump, in which they're corporatists, they're globalists, they're far more interested in keeping the status quo because it's beneficial to them. And, and I would argue, as crazy as it sounds in such a key midterm, I think Mitch McConnell is far more interested in the number 26 than the number 51. And by that, I mean he's interested in making sure he's got 26 solid votes that even if Republicans don't take the majority back in the Senate, he is still minority leader in the Republican caucus in the Senate. That's how demented I think he is. He is the ultimate Aino in that sense. Yeah. No, he, he absolutely is. And, and the shame of it is, having been involved when my dad was in the House, for there to be leadership change in one of the chambers, either the U.S. House or U.S. Senate, you actually have to have an alternative horse to ride. 
And right now, unless Rick Scott out of Florida, who is the National Republican Senatorial Committee chairman, unless he decides to run, the shame of it is I don't know if there are going to be any any senators, Republican senators, that will stand up and actually challenge Mitch McConnell for leadership. But I hope that Rick Scott will. That is, that is my sincere hope that somehow – and again, Nor, I'm convinced Republicans are going to take the Senate back. I think it will probably be 52-48, but it could even be 54-46. That if it turns out to be a really good cycle for Republicans in the Senate, I think Rick Scott has a very legitimate argument to be made. I should be the majority leader over Mitch McConnell. And I hope that he has the guts to step up and do it. Listen, we're all hoping for a red wave three weeks out, first we of all. I think we will. I mean, first of all, it's hard to escape the gravitational pull of, of history. And I just wrote a piece for American Greatness in which I, again, pointed out that since 1946, any president that has under 50 percent approval loses on average in his first midterm 37 seats. And Joe Biden is well below 50 percent. I mean, even if you were to take the real clear politics average, he's at 40, 41, 42, maybe. So the historical trends point to Republicans probably picking up 37 seats at a minimum. But then you start to look at some of these polls where forget the congressional generic ballot in which Republicans among likely voters are up about five to six points. If you get into these battleground House races, they're up over 20 points. And so I look at these trends going, OK, I feel pretty comfortable in making you know, a bet that, that we're going to pick up 37 seats, but I'm guessing probably in the 40s in the House. Uh, if you look at real clear politics, I think it's very likely that Republicans will end up with 30 gubernatorial seats versus 20 for Democrats. I think it could even go 32-18. We'll see how it all plays out over the next three weeks. And again, I look at the Senate. I think Herschel Walker has turned the corner. I like his chances of beating Warnock in Georgia. I really like where Blake Masters is trending in Arizona. I think that's another pickup. I think Adam Laxalt in Nevada uh, will probably win. I think Ron Johnson in Wisconsin is going to hold on. I think J.D. Vance will beat Tim Ryan in Ohio. And I think Oz is, is going to have a legitimate chance. I'm not fully convinced, but I like the odds that he'll beat Fetterman in Pennsylvania. And then you've got to look at a couple other races that I think nobody's been paying that much attention to. But the Washington Senate race, you know, Patty Murray is in trouble up there. Democrats know it. And Tiffany Smiley's got a legitimate chance of beating her. And then you look at New Hampshire. Hassan has always been weak. She barely won re-election last time. And I think Bulldog's got a legitimate chance of beating him. I think there are very good arguments to be made, 52-48, but even 54-46 for Republicans in the Senate. And then beyond that, Nor, obviously you've probably been following a lot of the things that have been taking place at the school board level with critical race theory, with transgender all of these crazy, absolutely insane ideas that are being pushed at school board level. I think conservatives are going to make a very big gain at school board level on election night. I mean, the level of degeneracy and evil that is being pushed it is, is it, it, astounding, and the majority of the American people will not stand for it. They won't. And, and part of the problem, again, when you have a dishonest, and again, I don't even want to call them media because they're not, they're propagandists. You know, one of the basic tenets, obviously, of our First Amendment, Bill of Rights, Constitution, is a free press. What I think we've kind of lost in this debate and conversation is a free and honest press, in which they have not really been 
fully communicating to the American people what has been taking place. And then when, when parents wake up, we saw this in Virginia where I'm at last year, obviously, in which a state flipped 12 points, right? Biden won Virginia by 10 points in 2020. Glenn Youngkin wins it by two. We sweep the statewide. We take the House of Delegates back. But I would remind people a lot of that momentum in Virginia last year was because all of a sudden parents started waking up. In some ways, the only silver lining to these COVID lockdowns and remote schools, all of a sudden they started realizing what their kids were being taught, and they were horrified by it. So now that parents have started to figure out and be aware of what's taking place, despite the dishonest press and, and corporate propagandists, they're starting to wake up and realize you're using, and I've said this for years, a lot of public schools are not places of learning per se. They're more indoctrination centers for the far left, and they are degenerate, I would say godless. And I would even say this, Nor, I've started to call the transgender movement very Luciferian, mm-hmm. in which they have said, we will, be, we will be like God. We will decide if a boy is born a boy, we can say he'll become a girl. It's, it's extremely demented and evil what they're pushing through the transgender movement. That's what I was going to say. I don't use the term evil loosely. It is, it right. is evil. It is satanic. It is. And I don't think we should be in any way hesitant to say there is good in the world. There is evil. Mm-hmm. And I think we've kind of lost, in some ways, people have lost that ability and somehow thinking, well, you know, will be targeted for, for calling something out. No, we should have the ability to say, because it, it does exist in this imperfect, fallen world, there is good and there is evil, and we should not be afraid to point at something and say that is absolutely evil and we will not tolerate it. We have to, because, again, we come back to this word normalization and desensitization. Yes. How do you pronounce it? Desensitize. Desensitizing. Yeah, there has been yes. this desensitizing of all these absolutely evil, evil ideas. Right. No, and I think we as a country, we are going to have to have a national conversation. First of all, the only way we get back to normal, like a truly normal country, is we have to beat the far left into political submission, unconditional surrender. Right? They're, they're not open to debate. They have to be beaten into unconditional surrender politically. But then we have to have a conversation as a country. What do we, what do we actually hold to as consistent, accepted norms? Right? That's the only way you can actually have a country in which people accept certain things as right, other things as wrong. You know, again, what is right, what is wrong? And until we come to some common consensus again, we're going to continue to have very heated, bitter political conversations because we have lost that. We've lost common consensus on what is right, what is wrong. But I would remind people before we can even get to that conversation, the left's not interested in debate. And they've made it very clear. I've noticed this when I was doing a lot of CNN, MSNBC, in which I would show up as the lone conservative voice. It became very clear they were not interested in having debate or dialogue because they thought that where my ideas were coming from that, that it was a wrong – they want conscience reformation, right, in mm-hmm. which if your ideas are coming from the wrong conscience, your ideas are illegitimate. Therefore, we don't want to have a debate. That's where the left is right now. They don't want to have a debate because they view all of our ideas and the ideals from which they spring as illegitimate. Therefore, we will not even debate you because you are illegitimate. You cannot have a conversation with them, and that's why they have to be beaten into submission, and then once we do that – have a conversation with the American people as a whole and say, we we have to come back to some consensus here. 
I completely agree with you. We have decades of social engineering to reverse. Yes. And we need to purge all these institutions, the different branches of government, the media, the education system, entertainment. We need to purge all of these institutions of these radicals. And then again, I'll come back to, to a point I made earlier. Hopefully, when Republicans gain political power on some level this fall, three weeks from now, they'll actually know what to do with it. And I keep on saying this, they'll know what time it is. I'm tired of people who keep on thinking, who are living in a world, call it 2006, right? That somehow we're still in 2006 and don't seem to understand what we are actually confronting right now. A far radical, un-American left that is degenerate and demented and quite frankly proposing ideas that are extremely evil. And the only way you beat them is to confront them with force. And I want to make it very clear, obviously, political force. But it's one of those things that unless you actually confront them and go right back at them, we will continue to lose. I've made this argument before, Nor, that a lot of times the problem with Republicans in this country is that they're more careerists. I'm going to go to D.C. I'm going to have a great career. I'll be in the House for 20 years, 30 years, whatever. I'll work at a think tank, and then I'll move on with life. Not the left. The left are religious zealots. Politics is their religion. The administrative state is their holy of holies. And they are hell-bent on going in and completely you know, making the government and the country conform to their image of what they think is right. And until we meet their religious zealotry with our own, we will continue to lose. 100%. So well said, Ned. But I'm really encouraged when I see people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and yes. as you mentioned, you know, Blake Masters or Carrie Lake. Carrie They're Lake. going at it. Yeah, Carrie Lake's amazing. I have to tell you, when I see the beginnings, obviously Axios and others have started to report it, that it's, it's dawning on Democratic operatives that Carrie Lake is going to be very hard to beat in the Arizona gubernatorial. Awesome. I yeah. hope that Kerry Lake wins in Arizona. I'm a huge fan of Tudor Dixon running against Gretchen Whitmer and Michigan. It's going to be a hard race. I'm still very optimistic. Michaels in Wisconsin. If we can get all of these people that are pretty darn conservative winning gubernatorial races in these key battleground states, I mean, I've made this argument to donors and to others. You win 2024 by winning in 2022. How awesome will it be to have Kerry Lake in charge of Arizona in 2024? Because if we have her as governor, we control the AG, Secretary of State, all of these things, then I can be able to pull some of these games, the rigging and manipulation they did in 2020. So that's why it's very important. Not only do we win back the House, we win back the Senate. You've got to win these gubernatorial seats, Secretary of State, Attorney General, and these key you know, battleground states. If we do that, I'm very optimistic about our 2024 chances with, with Donald Trump, right? Donald Trump's announcing after the midterms. Yeah. We, we've had this conversation. He's going to announce, and we go for it. And then, then we declare war day one on the administrative state because until you break the state – and this is the other point. I know Darren Beatty, who we both know, has been making this point. And I've been kind of making the same point. Until you break the state, the surveillance state, a lot of this becomes kind of sound and fury signifying nothing. We have to break the state. Okay? And so I, I've told Trump this. You break the state. You drain the swamp, you got a shot at restoring the republic. And if he wins again, and I'm optimistic if we do well here in about three weeks, he can win. Day one, declaration of war against the administrative state. Devolve, break apart, drain the swamp. Give ourselves a chance to restore the public and republic in which, again, the whole premise being 
government of, by, and for the people, in which the people delegate to their elected representatives the decision-making authority, we've lost sight of that. And the administrative state bureaucrats, you know, elections come and go. It's really a date on the calendar, but, you know, as people come and go, elections happen, the bureaucrats remain. And until you break that stranglehold on our U.S. government from the administrative state bureaucrats, you're just not going to see the fundamental change that we need to to turn this, you know, this ship around and get back to being a constitutional republic. So well said, Ned, and I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I'm 100% team Trump as well uh, for oh, the I future. Guess. Right. He's the steward of this ship. And uh, I'll just say this one thing. I'm still not over what happened in 2020 as I'm not either. the majority of the American people, I'm sure. And it needs to be rectified in some way, shape, or another. I, uh, I have had conversations. I'm not going to share the names, but people would recognize the names of people if I were to mention them. In which I've had conversations, and it's really every one of them has agreed that has to be Trump. Trump has to be the nominee in 2024 for so many different reasons. Because of what happened in 2020. Because of the rigging. Because of the manipulation. Because of everything that they did. To rig this election that, that I would remind people was really only lost by 42,000 votes by the time you add up Georgia, Wisconsin, and Arizona. And it becomes one of those things – and I, I, you know, I say this somewhat jokingly, but I'm, I'm very serious on another level. I had a conversation with, with Trump in the spring in which I told him, I'm all in. Right? You, when you decide, when you announce, give me a call, I'm all in, and I'm all in for so many different reasons, but it all boils down to one word. And he kind of laughed. He said, what is it? I said, revenge. And he started <laughs> cracking up. And I'm like, I'm very I, – I, I said, you know, obviously there's many more things to it. But if you were to boil it down, I want – there has to be revenge for what they did to you during the 2020 elections. And I'm all about that right now. And the breaking up of the administrative state and as also Darren coined it, you know, the, the national security state, yep. bringing them to heel, this is what he said, it needs to go through President Trump. And everything that happened yes. with the Russia hoax, all of this yes. needs to be rectified. 100%. Totally agree. You know, if people have been watching, I've been disappointed with John Durham's investigation of the whole Russia gate hoax. But I have to tell you, even in my disappointment, not only on the timing, uh, his apparent lack of interest in going after the seventh floor management of the FBI, which is, again, top level management, what he is doing right now is really showing what a corrupt clown show the FBI is, in which they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, based off everything that is coming out over the last few weeks, the Steele dossier was bogus. It was never legitimate. They knew all of that before they even filed their first FISA warrants, and then they proceeded to file three more. After that kind of pattern of corruption, I think Trump has to make part of his platform I will break apart and reimagine the FBI. I will reform and break apart some of this, the DOJ. You cannot have the FBI in its current form moving forward. In fact, I would argue it should be completely defunded, completely dismantled, and we reimagine something else that might be useful in actually upholding and protecting the rule of law and, quite frankly, the equal application of the law. Well, it's thanks to President Trump and everything that has ensued since he got into the White House and since this Fed surrection, this fake yes. insurrection of January 6th, yes. that we're seeing the extent of the rot at the FBI, at the DOJ. It is pretty amazing to me when you have deranged 
Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, and all these others trying to make this fake insurrection into something that the American people will care about, they have failed miserably. In fact, there was a poll out a couple days ago in which I think maybe 7% of all voters said it was somewhat important to them January 6th, trailing by a massive margin, obviously inflation, economy, rising prices, all things are actually important to the people. But it, it was nothing less than a failed attempt to ostracize and delegitimize and, and really prevent Donald Trump from running again, but also to ostracize his, his supporters. They have failed miserably, and I couldn't be happier. The question that I have, though, and I have heard reports from pretty legitimate sources that are close to McCarthy, he fully intends to continue this committee, but in a real way to fully understand what was happening on January 6th. And this, to me, gives me some hope for Kevin McCarthy that he might actually do some really good things with the power that he has when he takes the majority in January, that he will continue on with a January 6th committee that has been completely reformed and actually getting to the bottom of what took place on January 6th. And I have to tell you, based off everything that we're pretty sure took place, it will not be good for the FBI. It will not be good for the DOJ. It will not be good for Nancy Pelosi. That's what I was going to say. The first person we need to subpoena is Nancy Pelosi. I, I am pretty convinced that if the midterms are as devastating as I think in the House, I'm not fully convinced she's going to continue on in the House. I, I would not be surprised if she resigns at some point fairly quickly in the next term of Congress. First of all, she's 82. I mean, literally 82 years old, way past her prime. But at the same point, I do not think she wants to put up with being in the minority if Kevin McCarthy is going to do some of the things that I've heard from pretty reliable sources he intends to do. I hope you're right, Ned. Sounds great. Yeah, and so the other thing, too, that I'll point out in you know these next three weeks for the midterms, um, state legislative races. Again, something that gets lost in the shuffle is we talk about all the federal races and even the gubernatorial. Where does real election reform take place? Well, in the U.S., since elections are to be run by the states, it takes place at the state level. And this is why I keep on telling people I'm excited about where I think we're trending on the federal level, obviously school board, gubernatorial. I think we're going to make some gains in the state house and state senates across these various states. We'll have two legislative sessions before the 2024 presidential elections. I think we have a legitimate shot at making sure we do not allow any of those ridiculous games they played in 2020 to ever happen again. So, you know, for those of those listening to this, keep an eye on those state legislative races on November 8th. Anything else you'd like to say about the midterm elections? <sighs> no, I think we've covered it. Uh, again, I'm very bullish on it, dis despite all the narrative from the corporate propagandists. The last thing I'll say is this. You know what? The last thing I'll say in the midterms is this. When you look at poll numbers, ask yourself, is that a likely voter poll or a registered voter poll? Because registered voter polls at this point are nothing but propaganda and not a reflection of anything remotely close to what will actually happen on November 8th. So I think reality is hitting the corporate propagandists and the Democrats and the left, as I, as I joked in my last American Greatness column, like a sledgehammer right to the face. You can try these fake narratives. You can try the propaganda. At some point, reality kicks in, and sometimes it's like a sledgehammer to the face. And I think we're going to see some of that November 8th. 
Well, the thing I'll say is that I'll encourage everyone who's listening to follow you on Twitter because A, you're a staunch <laughs> America First supporter, really one of the very, very consistent ones out there. And second, you give a great roundup with your tweets and your retweets of what's going on on the ground in terms of the races. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I have a lot of fun on Twitter. <clears throat> Sometimes a little too much fun, but my wife always, you know, makes sure that, uh, you know, some of the tweets don't go out that uh, she's she's right about. But yeah, no, I, yeah, please. At Ned Ryan, N-E-D-R-Y-U-N. And uh, I, I do have a lot of fun. And uh, But I also look at it as a really a running, a way for me to actually do some running commentary, but also as a news feed. You know, what's going on? What are the polls? Some running commentary to hopefully, hopefully be part of, of a bigger, larger conversation. A great mix between humor and information, Ned. I'll say that. I, I appreciate it. Will you come back on after the election so we can do a recap? Yes, absolutely. Let's do it. Great. Super. Thanks for coming on today. Absolutely. Thanks, Nora. Speak soon. Bye. All right. Bye.